talking about forgiveness this morning, and uh, right off the bat, let's be honest about why we don't do it. Two reasons why we don't forgive. Two reasons that keep us from forgiving people who have hurt us or done something or left something undone. The first is that we confuse forgiveness with a sense of injustice because we're letting them off, that we think we're letting them off the hook. That there are no more consequences or there are no boundaries when we forgive. That's not true. You can forgive and call the police at the same time. <laughs> I've done this. I've done this. Somebody pulled in front of my car and I ran right into them. And, it, you know, it was a big inconvenience. You know, it was, it was a mistake. I forgave them, and, but I called the police at the same time. There's still consequences. And so uh, it, it's not right to think that forgiving always means that, uh, that you're not going to draw any lines when somebody is a repeat offender, that you don't have boundaries. Of course you do. It's not loving to let someone continue to do harm to somebody else or to you. It's not a loving thing. But you can forgive even as you draw lines. So that's one reason we don't forgive, because we, we sort of confuse it. We think, well, I'm just letting them off the hook. There are no consequences anymore. Well, there can be. And sometimes, uh, sometimes the discipline of a consequence can be a really loving thing for somebody. Second reason we fail to forgive is that we're waiting on the other person to be ready to receive it. That's reconciliation, when they're ready, when they want forgiveness. That's a two-way. But forgiving is often one way. Reconciliation is when you restore that re relationship. It's when the other person wants to be forgiven. They've said they're sorry. They're taking responsibility. And the relationship is, is restored. But sometimes God calls us to the discipline of forgiving on a road of solitude. A one-way road. And sometimes we have to leave that person behind as we walk that path of solitude. Jesus sought lonely places, places of solitude where he could connect with God. Maybe your call to forgiveness is a call to a discipline, a call to a path of solitude, to connect again with God as you obey his call to forgive. You say, Tim, that sounds hard. Well, it is hard. So how do we do it? Well, I think what we're going to see from Matthew 18 is that we have to practice, practice, practice. From the Word of God, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. This, this chapter, Matthew 18, is all about forgiveness. It's about dealing with conflict. It's a rich text. When you hear Matthew 18, you ought to know, okay, that's that, that's that place where we're talking about redeeming relationships. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 18. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
Now, let me pause. That's an impossible amount of money. I, I did the math on it. It's somewhere around $40 million. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And that's not an impossible sum. It's a pretty small sum comparatively. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will, for, I will, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went out and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you who do not forgive your brother from your heart. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, bless us to receive your word. Make us open, not only in our minds, but in our hearts, that we may lead changed lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So practice, practice, practice. That's how we learn to forgive. How do we learn to forgive? We learn to forgive by being forgiven. That's how we learn to forgive. We're going to make a connection between your being forgiven and your learning to forgive. We're going to look at three different ways that forgiveness, your forgiveness, your receiving forgiveness begins to sink in deeper and deeper. You see, the forgiven forgive. The forgiven forgive. They taste the freedom of their forgiveness and they want to spread it. So let's take a look at, at the way that we're called to let that forgiveness sink in deeper and deeper. That, that we will see, you'll see your worth in your forgiveness. That, that, that you'll see yourself in the offenders around you. And then you'll see how much you have to pay forward. All right? That's where we're going. So first, when we practice being forgiven, being forgiven, I'm not talking about forgiving somebody else. I'm talking about your forgiveness. Practice receiving forgiveness. When you practice that, you begin to see your own worth in the cost of mercy. Did you follow that? Let me just say that again. When you practice being forgiven, you begin to see your own worth in the cost of somebody else's mercy. 
I mean, mercy is still a cost. I can forgive you for breaking my window, but there's still a cost. And if I, and if I take that cost, absorb that cost myself, there's a cost. But when you receive it as a gift, it begins to become personal. And you begin to experience it as a sense of investment in you. That somebody else is paying the cost of your mercy and you experience it in terms of your worth. They're putting you above the cost and you experience it as a sense of their investment in your worth. It's a little like this, you know, sort of the opposite would be like, like this, like imagine a beach scene and there's a fella down on one knee and he has a ring in his hand and he's looking up at his beloved and he's giving her this ring and she takes it and looks at it, puts it on her finger and she says, boy, this looks, this looks pretty expensive. <laughs> I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back for this. Can you imagine that? <laughs> There's something missing here, right? There's a disconnect. She's not getting it, right? And he's saying, you don't understand. This is a gift. You can't pay for this. And it represents me giving my whole self to you. It represents a, a, a loving investment in you. This is personal. This isn't a transaction. This isn't quid pro quo. I give you this and you give me that. This is me just offering myself. You can't pay me for this. The servant in this story has reduced mercy to a transaction. He's missing the personal investment. He can't see as a result. He cannot see the worth in the cost of mercy. He can't see his own worth. He's not being set free, in other words. He's missing the connection. See, the debt is impossibly high, as I mentioned. Now think of the one who's speaking this parable. He's talking about a debt you cannot pay. He's talking about something that's just using hyperbole. He's just picking a huge number, right? A huge number. Who is speaking this? Jesus is speaking this He's using an illustration. Imagine, I mean, make the connection to the cross. Make the, he is the master. He is the master who is able to pay something impossibly high. And when we internalize that, when we make the connection, when we recognize that there is a cost to mercy, you can begin to experience it in terms of freedom because it, it becomes an experience of your own worth. Where whatever offense that we have, God puts you higher than that offense. Whatever we've left undone, God values you above that. And so, so often when, we, when we're dealing with something like like a word like sin, which is becoming increasingly anathema to like the culture. Nobody wants to talk about that word. Nobody wants to, to, to dwell on that. But you see, you have to see the debt in order to appreciate the payment in order to experience your worth. And this is the invitation. 
This is the invitation that Jesus is making. This is the invitation of the master to the servant. There's a great story about this that helps make this connection. It, it's um, a story called The Miracle on the River Kwai. It's a, a story from Burma in World War II. There were Scottish, Scottish soldiers that were taken prisoner, prisoner of war, and they were helping to build this Burmese railway. And one day, one of the shovels supposedly went missing. The, 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 the captain of the guard counted up all his shovels, and he was very agitated, pulled out his, his, uh, his weapon, and he said, show me where the missing shovel is or everyone dies. And he began, he cocked his rifle and began to, to point it and... Uh, one man stood, stepped forward and he beat him to death. This is a true story. Beat him to death with his club. About an hour later, they counted the shovels again and found that none of the shovels had been missing. There wasn't a missing shovel. The captain had just counted wrong. And when word of this spread through the camp, see... That, see, it, it, up until that point, these Scottish soldiers were so demoralized by being captured. They, it was just every man for himself, and they had turned on each other, and they had become poisoned towards each other. But after this incident, when they realized that one among them stepped forward, even though he knew there wasn't a missing shovel, it wasn't his missing shovel, when they recognized that somebody else paid for mercy, it changed everyone in the camp and they became brothers again you see it's it's when you make the connection not a transaction when you recognize that there's a cost to mercy and you you experience that cost as an investment in your worth you begin to have a resource you can see your worth so people who practice being forgiven, they can see their worth. And people who practice being forgiven, they can see themselves in the face of the faces of their offenders. Imagine, I mean, can, can you think of somebody who has offended you or left something undone? Maybe repeatedly, maybe somebody who's, who's let you down again and again or somebody, so, something you're holding on to, some thorn of bitterness that has nested in your soul and your heart because somebody did something that you feel like is unforgivable. Well, the forgiven, when you experience your forgiveness, what, what this passage is saying is you have the power, you have the ability to see yourself in the face of the needy offender in front of you, or around you. It's your same human nature at work in them that brought the offense. It's your same human nature. It's the same human condition. Can you see and experience as you're looking to the face of your offender, even in your mind's eye, can you recognize yourself in their position? Can you see your need can you begin to feel compassion the way that the merciful master felt compassion 
on the servant. You can when you begin to identify their human nature with your human nature. You know, in other words, it's sort of like this. If, if, If you function the way that the servant functions. Here's what the servant is doing. He's saying, look, he's going out, verse 28 says, pay what you owe, right? He's been forgiven this great debt, and he's going out, and he's finding this little debt that somebody owes him, and he's saying, pay what you owe. When somebody has offended you personally, and you're angry with them, I'm not talking about a denarii. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about somebody who betrayed your trust. And our instinct is, I'm gonna gonna send this person into darkness, That's our instinct. It's like they deserve to be separated. They deserve punishment. They deserve to be in outer darkness. You can't send that person into darkness without taking them there yourself. You see, you have to drag them down off the ridgeline into the dark valley if that's where you want them to go. And that's that's where, that's that dark valley of unforgiveness. And that's, that's why we trap ourselves. That's how we trap ourselves when we fail to forgive. I I remember years ago, uh, somebody I really respect who was having trouble with with forgiveness. And he had a boss who who really betrayed his trust. He was was somebody who was very respected and very renowned and uh, had put the squeeze on this friend of mine, put the squeeze on him financially, uh, even though... uh, even though this friend of mine had done nothing wrong. And this this friend of mine ended up having to leave, going to another place to work. And I remember uh, reflecting with him on on this situation and and realizing, this this is when the penny dropped for me, this is a long, long time ago. Uh, I was thinking about this, thinking, how do you have compassion for this person who ended your career where you were working. How do you have compassion for somebody like that? It's a horrible thing to do. Very unjust. And then I began to think about that person and we we began to talk about this and we both began to picture this person in terms of their fear, what was driving them. And there began to well up a sense of, of compassion and pity for this person. That their human nature, the human nature that they have, is the same human nature that we have. You say, well, Tim, that sounds like a nice rosy picture. But it's pretty tough when you do it and you have to do it again and again. And you've done it once and then a couple of weeks later, it comes up again. You think about them. You think about that person and you get that pit in your stomach and you think there's no way I'm going to do this again. I've already done it once, right? You've been there, right? If you haven't been there, you will be. So what do you do? Well, it's a little like this. It's, it's reckon, when, it, when you look into the face of somebody else and you recognize, you begin to recognize their humanity and your frail humanity and you have that commonality, it's a little like this. It's saying, so every time you think of what they did to you, it's, it's like this story about this donkey. A donkey that gets, yeah, I'm comparing you to a donkey. I'm, par- I'm comparing me to a donkey too, okay? So, so just relax, all right? So imagine that, that you're this donkey and you're, you're stuck in this pit, all right? And the farmer's trying to get the donkey out. He can't get the donkey out. He's trying to pull him out. 
Donkey won't come. Can't get him out of the pit. Can't, can't lift him up. Doesn't have a crane. Finally gives up on the donkey. And says, well, I got to put him out of his misery. So he begins to shovel dirt over the top of him, right? Just like, I'm just going to bury him. Just bury this donkey. Just be done with it, all right? A lot of times that's what we do with our, our, our sense of being offended. We, we want to just bury this problem. We want it to go away, right? But in the story, here's what happens with the donkey. Every time that the, the farmer would shovel donkey on its back, he'd just kind of shake it off, and then he'd step up. Shake it off, and then he'd step up. Shake, step, shake, step. And then the farmer began to realize, I'm getting the donkey out of this pit. Step by step by step by step by step. Every time you decide, 70 times 70, every time you decide to forgive that person, it's like dirt is being thrown on that situation again, on top of you, on top of your head. What are you going to do? Are you going to let it bury you? Or are you going to step up and step up and step up? This is what Jesus is saying is possible. This is what the, the servant fails to do. To recognize in the face of his offender, the one who owed him a debt, he failed to make the connection to that man's frail humanity and his own. You see, when you see your own debt, when you experience somebody else's debt as your own, guess what happens? Not only are you stepping up and stepping up and stepping up, but the original offer of God's exorbitant grace begins to sink deeper and deeper. The investment, the cost of his mercy sinks deeper and deeper into your mind and heart and soul. You see, it's practice and practice and practice. Last way we practice our own forgiveness in forgiving other people is that we begin to see when, when, when we allow ourselves to be forgiven in that way, when we even see God's forgiveness in our forgiving of other people, we begin to see how much resource that investment in us we have to give to other people. When you practice, you can begin to see how much resource you can see your worth, right, in, in the cost of somebody else's mercy. You can begin to see yourself in the face of your offender. Then you'll begin to see how much of a resource you have to draw upon to forgive other people, to pay it forward. You know, in the same way that you have to drag somebody down into the valley in order to, to leave them there in darkness... When you begin to draw them towards the light, you end up in the light yourself. You see, Matthew, this, this, this parable is the story form of the end of the Lord's Prayer. Did you notice that? This is Jesus' story about what we say in the Lord's Prayer. What am I talking about? Forgive us our debts as what? As we forgive our debtors. Now that sounds 
That sounds heavy. It, sa- it sounds like it's saying, once I forgive my debtors, then God will forgive me. But look at the story. What happens first? The master forgives the servant. And then there's an expectation. I have given you an investment of worth. You should see the same need in the people around you. And when you forgive the other person, you experience my forgiveness. And so this is not a condition. Forgiving forgiving your neighbor, their offense, is not a condition of God's forgiveness of you. But it is a completion of it. It's not a condition of it, but it is a completion of it. If you have really experienced God's forgiveness, you have forgiveness to give. And when you give it away, you experience it more completely. Do you see? This is a discipline of grace to forgive. How do we, why do we forgive? Why is Jesus saying 70 times 7? Because every time you forgive somebody, whether it's the same person for the same offense over and over again, stepping up and stepping up and stepping up, you are experiencing the greater depth of God's forgiveness for you. You're completing it. You're completing it. You're taking people before God. You see, you can't take people before God to forgive them without stepping before God boldly yourself with a sense of confidence that forgiveness changes and frees us. If you don't know that freedom, if you haven't been released, if you haven't recognized the connection between your offense and God's provision of mercy, that the cost is invested in you, then you don't know a an identity apart from your shame. See, this is why identity, identity, identity politics is such a sham. It's such a mess. It breaks my heart to see people who think that a power paradigm is gonna set them free. The idea that we're going to identify with different groups and we're gonna leverage the guilt over again. Now, I'm not saying that forgiveness is is a way of, of sort of silencing victims. That's not the point. Uh, we need to be a lot more accountable to one another for, for crimes of the past, I think. But when I'm the victim, if I think that I'm going to be set free by having the power of guilt over somebody else, I'm trapping myself. And this whole identity politics that that tries to help people find freedom through retributive justice? Well, we've seen how that works out in the Middle East. We've seen generation upon generation upon generation of tit for tat, of eye for an eye, of tooth for tooth. Identity politics is the same old, same old, same old thing thinking that if I get you back, I'm going to feel better about my situation. But we have the ability to set people free. Let me leave you with this. Something practical for you to do. Now, we've seen how 
forgiven people see their worth. They see themselves in their offenders and they see how much they have to give, right? To set people free. But what can you do? Ken Sandy wrote a book called The Peacemaker and he has four ways of letting people go. I talked about this discipline of grace, right? The idea of forgiving somebody even for the same offense over and over again. Here's your four ways of practicing this today. Ken Sandy's four ways of letting go. Number one, I will not dwell on it. All right, good luck with this, okay? I know it's hard. This is hard. This is hard. All right, I will not dwell on it. Number two, I will not bring it up against you. Number three, I will not talk to others about it. Now, this is after you've forgiven them. You've resolved to forgive, okay? It comes up again, right? I'm not saying you don't consult with somebody. I'm not saying, you know, you don't, I mean, there's other parts of Matthew 18. I'm talking about when you're having, you're going down that solitude road of forgiveness. I will not dwell on it. I won't bring it up against you. I won't talk to others about it. I will not let it hinder our relationship going forward. Those are the four ways. God has given us his grace not to hoard, but to give. Because free people, free people. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the gift of forgiveness. Help us, we pray, to pay it forward. In Jesus' name, amen.